Okay, hello everybody and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. I have a guest today named Katie Kahn. I'm going to let Katie introduce herself in a second, but we are on here to talk about Alex's War, the new documentary by Alex Lee Moyer, produced by Hadrian Belove, a very controversial figure here in LA that we can get into. Um, we saw a early pre-screening of this movie. We were invited in LA and uh, it was a very interesting little small theater in East Hollywood. And uh, I think we left having different impressions of the movie and, and I know that it's very topical right now. So we just wanted to talk about it and talk about the larger space of Alex's War and the producers. So welcome, Katie. Hi, thanks so much. Um... It was great meeting you in person um, after having been introduced um, through friends. Um, just a little background on myself. I, um, am, I work in health tech consulting, which um, seems very incongruous with ending up at a small, basically 10 person uh, early screening for Alex's War. Um, but a few years ago, um, after being goaded by friends, um, I wrote a little bit of like, counterculture-y kind of stuff here and there um, on the side of my work. And a piece that I wrote on Call Her Daddy, the podcast, and kind of comparing it to like Red Scare a little bit, some things like that blew up. Um, and I was reached out to by Anna Chachian and Default Friend and some other people kind of in the space to do some writing more on like tech. Um, right around that time, the eco-fascist, um, what is it, like Ted Kaczynski meme, Mike Ma culture was blowing up. And I started writing about that. But due to the pandemic, a lot of that fell apart a little bit. Um, so I'm sitting on a lot of writing. I haven't published in over a year on Substack, but um, you know, through those connections, I've stayed a little bit involved in just following around on weird counterculture stuff. It's something that I find really interesting. I find it something that more people need to better understand since there's only, you know, very um, you know, kind of once in a blue moon extravagant, like, you know, New York Times pieces um, on these cultures. <laughs> and a lot of people don't get the full picture. So um, I met Hadrian through uh, friends in LA through kind of that world. And um, it was great to get an early look at Alex's war. And I'm excited to discuss it today. <laughs> okay, awesome. Can you hear me? I just switched to like the actual microphone because I forgot. Can I you, hear hear you. you can. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, all right. So um, what were your initial impressions? I sent you over kind of a long message after that night. And my initial impression, of course, was, you know, I was entertained. I was entertained. I was enthralled. It was jam-packed. The most important thing to kind of explain about this movie is it's literally jam-packed. Alex Lee Moyer was given unprecedented access to Alex Jones in the current day and also his archive of materials and also people that have worked with him over the years. So to fit a 20, what, 27 year career, I think he started around 1995, um, into, you know, I think it, the cut we saw was what, two hours, 10 minutes? Yeah, down from, long. Yeah, long. down from two hours, 15, I think they said it was in the cut before we saw, and I'm not sure if they were continuing, if they edited it again. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in order to fit 27 years of like a lot of major events into, um, you know, that time period, rather than doing a limited series, which sort of like everyone else is doing for stuff like this. I mean, like Hunter, the thing about Hunter Moore, which like, I don't know if you know about like, is anyone up the like revenge porn website just came out the other day. 
that's that Netflix, was, the most hated man on the internet. Yes. And yeah. it literally like, is anyone up? I think it was up for four or five years. <laughs> like not even, I don't even think it was up that long. And it's like six episodes, you know? So yeah. it's six like hour long episodes. So, you know, Alex Lemore is like very ambitious. It's important to say full names, by the way. I think we're going to get a little confused. But, right. um, between to, the yeah, yeah. Which Alex? Is it Alex? Yeah. It, and Alex Moore? Yeah, yeah, who's war? <laughs> I have this theory, and I wanted to actually ask Hadrian this, that the original title was Alex's Struggle. And oh, they switch I... it. <laughs> you know, like a slight <laughs> reference to Hitler. But um, uh, yeah. yeah, no, but I actually think that that's a, a great thing that they didn't turn it into annoy an annoying... All these series are way too long. They should all be movies because they try and extend them and they add all this nonsense like fluff in, in it. So I feel like it's better that this is just one movie. I think it's it's better that way. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll agree to disagree only because we already know so much about Alex Jones. So I think for us, by the time that, for me, like the time like 140 was hitting, I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. You know, it was definitely- um, But for someone that's going in, Blind? like I think that's where that limited series kind of thing works for someone totally going in blind like I'm looking forward to I'm I'm looking I, I haven't watched any of the Theranos ones I know like being in health tech that's funny but I knew so many people involved in Theranos it's like I haven't touched that but for my and I read the book um which is pretty comprehensive bad blood right bad blood it, yeah, it was great. So I, mean, I knew I people that it. were getting I knew people that are getting followed by black hearts due to associations with Theranos like it was wow. really crazy wait black hearts is that like black block no black cars like black cars oh okay. and I had found out black that hearts were bugged like because of association with people involved in Theranos like, black it, heart black hearts is a combination between robot heart and black block it's like yeah. the <laughs> most secret party but yeah um Wait, so, robot? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah. No, that, that's, I would love to hear more about your Theranos experiences. That I love, that's like my favorite story yeah. ever. Yeah. I worked with, with so some clever. people who are on the cleanup team that they hired after the first expose that were hired basically from the FDA to clean things up, but then they're still kept. I mean, anyway, so, but it was great to finally, rather than having to keep explaining it to people, like them having that kind of limited series <laughs> situation and being able to watch that stuff. So I think from the Alex Jones thing, it's possibly due to like our overexposure of it, that like it, a movie feels right. But I, you know, I'm my main criticism is, I mean, the breakneck speed of like cramming in so much material into a short amount of time, but also that... Um, those limited series tend to mix detractors as well as supporters. And this was very one-sided. <laughs> okay. So let's just start with that. So you thought yeah. that, so the New York times or some, I don't know if it was the New York times, but some mainstream reviewer posted, oh, it's a totally objective take. But I also tend to agree with you that it seemed very sympathetic to Alex. Oh, it was like incredibly sympathetic. I mean, um, I compare it to Get Me Roger Stone, which I loved, which also was a documentary that actually did a really good job. I mean, Roger Stone has had a, what, 50-year career, and it summed him up pretty well. Um, but you got to know him in a very, like, negative light, but almost in a way that really humanized him. Like, by the end of the documentary, you're like, this is a sex-obsessed, like, rat that will do anything to get to the top. <laughs> Wait, I need to watch and, this. I and need... it's kind of human. It's, a, like, almost, like, he loves, he loves orgies. <laughs> like, he, like, and um, he goes into it, and he's like, I don't care. Um, and then there's people going, like, you know, Roger Stone's the worst person in the whole world. Like, he should be executed, basically. And then, like, other people going, like, you know, he's really shrewd. He's really smart. 
Um, and so it kind of leaves you with this impression that you're like, this is a person. And like, I understand this person. And I felt like at the end of Alex's war, I still didn't know who Alex Jones was. And I went in like, by the way, extremely open-minded, like what, ready for my mind to be blown in this way of like, I've never had like a particularly positive, you know, ideas of Alex Jones. I've always thought him more as like a media figure, like entertaining, like whether or not he's like this you know, like uncontrollable provocateur that's going to lead to like the downfall of the United States. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. That's like a, a bit over the top. There's lots of people that could fit that narrative. Um, but in terms of who he is, the background information on him. And so let's talk about that first half of the movie, which is basically like him with his shirt off, like looking hot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's important. How did you like, what was your impression of him that first half and like his background information? Like, what did you glean from him or like from like his adolescence slash early adulthood, early career section? Um, yeah, he's definitely strikingly good looking for sure. And it's like, you, you really notice that. Um, also there's a big part of it where he's talking about how he's reading deep philosophy at age 12, which you know, maybe it's, hey, to become Alex Jones, you maybe you got to really start early. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people who end up being really famous are like that, right? They like have one thing that they're really good at from a very early age. So maybe he really was reading these, you know, uh, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich when he was 12 years old. Um, so I found that pretty striking. I think, yeah, it's and then he has this whole thing about his dad being some kind of security clearance bureaucrat thing right where he's like sitting around and hearing about the secrets and you know that's that was the reason that he's giving for his origin story just like the parkland shooting kid who was like uh my dad was constantly on trips out of the country <laughs> you know is that <laughs> Do you not know david hogg no. it like came out oh but, yeah like yeah, his yeah. intelligence or whatever anyway um i guess hold on step back the structure of the movie, let's explain that for people who haven't seen it. It is a back and forth between background information and archival footage and basically November through Jet November uh 2020 through January 2021, which yeah. basically the election, the you know, unclear certification of the election um through January 6th. So that's basically like the timing, but there's also some current interviews with random people thrown in, including people that worked with Alex back in the 90s, people that um, work with Alex currently, um, and an, another InfoWars host who they actually lead with even before they get into the background information of Alex. So just for people that are confused about the structure, it's not like a um, like background to current day. It's It's jumping back and forth which, you know, kind of keeps you interested. Well, and right. And in that way, it's kind of exactly like a Hollywood biopic in that yeah. it's, you know, it's this moment you're all familiar with, like the big stage moment. And it's, you're flashing to childhood all the way up until that moment. And then you get just like a biopic, like a little bit of like a denouement after that, of like what happened after that big culminating moment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So um, yeah, the film opens in an interesting way where it's protests in, um, I believe it was October, November. It was right around the election, essentially, like right around the election. And it's like anti-mask kind of anti-shutdown protests. And the first person we really get like introduced to is Owen Schroeder, who is a 30 something 
Infowars host, who is also handsome, ruggedly handsome, blonde hair, blue eyed guy. Yeah, and you can tell that this guy really wants to be the next Alex Jones. Yes. <laughs> and and Alex Jones, because he's got the same kind of thing, but he's got this guy, Orrin Schroyer, not to, you know, I'm sure Orrin Schroyer is a great guy, but from just a character in the documentary perspective, he's got this kind of glazed over look, like he's kind of robotic in this way, where he, that he doesn't have that fiery passion in the way that Alex has it. Yeah, I would almost not call it glazed over, but like well PR'd. Like he seems, yeah. and I think it's, you know, Alex Jones started his career when he was 21, which is like an extremely important aspect. I mean, you look at the guy and he, you think he's in his 60s, but he's like not even 50. Yet. He's, <laughs> he's not even 50 years old, which is really crazy because he looks like he's like 60. I don't know if you're buying those supplements. like <laughs> well, it, yeah, The supplements thing, it, just to do tiny segue, because I, I want to make sure we mention this. My biggest disappointment in the film was that they didn't get into the supplements thing. And I think that any of these guys, look at Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's out there selling on it supplements. Ben Shapiro's out there selling supplements. All these guys who are supposedly our respite from the globalist corporatocracy are all shilling these snake oil. It's obvious snake oil. I mean, these things don't do anything. It's just straight up water in a branded canister. And you're in medicine, you know. Oh, like, game, shit's not game, real. Girl, game of girl bath water. Um, yeah, right, right. <laughs> right there's... Game of girl bath water actually might have something in it that's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? This I don't know what. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, there's, there's, a funny, there's a funny meme that went around like years ago that like was a Venn diagram of like Gwyneth Paltrow and Alex Jones. And <laughs> it's like selling made yes. up. Oh, like, dude, right. selling made up medicine on the internet and like yeah. you know there's actually an interesting you know around the time of the Theranos stuff that was going on is the FDA um had a new commissioner um named Scott Gottlieb who's all over TV these days um Scott is really brilliant he actually was a Trump appointed him but he's actually a very moderate pick and people were very surprised and he was ousted over two reasons one he wanted to um, eliminate vapes and basically the tobacco industry um and two he um, actually wanted to regulate supplements more heavily. And if you know anything about Fox, if you watch Fox News <laughs> ever, you know that like 50% of the commercials are supplements and like it is a multi-gajillion dollar industry. Um, and some, and strangely like has been aligned with sort of right-wing stuff for a long time. Like not just recently, like supplement stuff has been tied to I mean, like Mormons love running supplement company, running supplement company. Like it's a, it's a strange industry. Um, but no, I agree. I was kind of disappointed in that because that's something that's kind of made him, that was honestly, even pre the Sandy Hook stuff, that was some of the first like major criticism of him. Right. And I still have questions about that. I mean, I still, why do these guys do this? And it, it would have been easy enough for them to get into it and then just explain it. Well, like, look, these guys have to switch channels every day. It's really expensive. You know, their expenses are however many millions a year. You got to raise that money somehow. You know, yeah. then I would have been fine with it. But it's weird that they didn't even go into it at all. Like they should have said something about it. I mean, they kind of show it for like a second, but they don't dig into it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, like kind of back to the beginning. So we meet Owen, who is um, unlike Alex Jones, a um, you know, definitely like, I mean, listen, he's basically our age, right? Like he's early thirties. He has been raised in internet clout, social media culture, right? Like he knows what to say on camera to look good. Um, I think 
Alex is different from that back is like, he just kind of says whatever <laughs> on camera, which like has been explained via alcoholism. But like to get back to the, like his, so his origin story, he grew up in Texas. Um, he read smart books. Um, he listened to people talk about secret, I don't know, Vietnam War stuff over the dinner table. So he says, um, and then he had gotten a fight and in, in a few fights in high school and, you know, that's his origin story, but that's kind of all we get. <laughs> it's not like, you know, like he, his, we learn a lot about his family and like struggles therein. Like we don't learn really, really then he was like, oh, and I started watching a lot of TV and there were these guys on local Texas TV who were talking about conspiracies. And I literally showed up and said, Hey, I want to work for you guys. Um, the motivations of Alex Jones have in this film are portrayed as basically, he's just a guy seeking the truth, but I agree that like the supplement stuff and like, there's some other things like the Sandy Hook thing, which we're going to have to dive into, unfortunately, um, that kind of betrayed this like quest for truth. And like, there's also this aspect of quest for attention, um, that right. is really important to what he does. And, you know, it's kind of explained away like by clickbait. BuzzFeed, for example, their hard-hitting news articles are funded by their listicles. Like everyone is doing this in this age <laughs> where you have to have some fluff and like clickbait, right? To support like the real hard-hitting content, quote unquote. So like that can easily be explained. Uh, but Alex tends to explain away and like the main antagonist. So if there is a main antagonist in this film it, who's a person, because it's always like the elites, it's the elites are shutting down, but if it's a person, it's actually George W. Bush, <laughs> which is very interesting. Like he loves like bringing up this, like I hated George Bush on the right before it was cool um, sort of thing. There's this great archive footage of him at a George Bush rally, I think during the 2000 election where like he's getting thrown out by- And what does he say to him again? He's a, he asks him like about- what is it? Is it like Bilderberg or something? It's it's he's like starts shouting about something that George Bush probably doesn't even know. He's just <laughs> himself. George Bush is like, I have no idea what you're it's even about, talking about. It is about Texas. Like it's something he did as like the governor of Texas. Right. Like, right. And it's so funny Texas. because it's like like this is the beauty of Alex Jones. Is that it's like the things that he's saying actually are the things he's accusing George Bush of in that instance are actually probably really true and probably really do deserve to be looked at. And this is why I think people come to Alex Jones because he has the balls to get up and do that stuff. And there's also the great, big, great part about him getting into Bohemian Grove. And you think, oh, he's going to go to Bohemian Grove. It's not going to be a big deal. And then he goes to Bohemian Grove and it's exactly what he says it's going to be. And you're like, holy, like I had no idea this stuff was going on. And that's the thing about Alex Jones. It's like for all this crazy shit that he says, there's these and that's like on Rogan, right? The hours he spent on Rogan are just such amazing entertainment because you hear him say these things and you're like, what? And then you Google it and you're like, oh my God, that really did happen. Like like the, some of the things he says is just so red pilling and so interesting. Um, but the Bohemian Grove thing, okay, I grew up in the Bay Area. <laughs> let me be, let me lay that out there. I grew up in the Bay Area and I'm pretty in deep on some tech stuff. I know people who, and tech is actually, as I said, like tech people don't really go to Bohemian Grove. It's finance, it's government, whatever. Right. I know people who go to Bohemian Grove. I know people who've worked at Bohemian Grove. Um, and 
um, whether or not it's, you know, like a homosexual cabal that roasts children. Like I haven't heard any of that, um, like it firsthand, but he, he loves like having pictures of like Nixon there, you know, in the documentary, they have pictures of Nixon there. Nixon famously was like recorded saying that like Bohemian Grove was basically like the Castro of the forest. Like he, <laughs> like he said, they are a bunch of like, F yeah. <laughs> you know, or something like that. And, um, you know, so it's it's kind of funny. It's like Nixon actually did this like years before Alex Jones said that he was. He um, was talking stuff about Bohemian Grove back he, then. That he was flirted with. Um, oh, know. I see. Okay. Um, it was, yeah. you know, Nixon was saying this stuff. So I guess I wasn't like, because I've known so much about it. Like, I mean, there's a Bohemian club in San Francisco that like my friend's dads are in or whatever. And like my dad's yeah. been events there. Um, you know, it's not exactly like, groundbreaking that like there's weird stuff also I was in a sorority and like if you know anything about like these weird old culture things that were started fraternity sororities Bohemian Grove all started in the late 1800s <laughs> in the U.S. basically and they all have really weird rituals dude my my fraternity was is so weird it's like yeah. the backstory it's like the rainbow fraternity what were you in? What were you in? Delta Tau Delta oh uh, geez. okay yeah, yeah this was on the east coast though so I'm sure it's a oh. totally different thing but um yeah uh no it's really weird the the like if you look at the history and all the rituals it's very occult um no i hear what you're saying but i also thought that he treated that somewhat fairly which the interesting part of that all to me was that the sacrifice of care which is this baby thing it's like the baby effigy they're sacrificing it because they want to cleanse themselves of their bad deeds and they're yeah. putting all their bad deeds onto this baby and these are all very elite people who run the world. And then you hear them like screaming in pleasure and like crazy ecstasy as this baby is burned. And look, it seems to me pretty innocuous, right? It's not like it's an actual satanic ritual. There's no actual baby being burned. But it reminded me a lot of, you know, the whole theater occupied government meme. Like it was a bunch of nerds being like, we're like letting it all out, you know, yeah. in the forest. Um, so again, it's not that, and I think that he didn't really, he didn't try and paint it as more than that yeah. too much, did he? I mean, and I thought it was interesting that it's true. Like these people are pretty immoral probably for the most part. And they go there to like feel with other people that are also pretty immoral making these decisions, like it's all justified. And they do this act, this symbolic act that like discharges their sins in a way. Yeah, I think, and let me be clear here before I'm called like an op or like whatever for that. I know people that like have worked there, whatever, like as yeah. bartenders and you know, whatever over the summer. Like my point is more that so many hundreds of people have gone, you know, over the course of like 200 years and like so little crazy stuff has come out about it compared to like cult stuff that was yeah, going on yeah. in the Bay Area. And the, like growing up in the Bay Area, um, I knew a lot of people that were involved in like Rajneeshis and like, like my friend's parents, like really out there stuff that like crazy stuff obviously has come out about that. Um, yeah. And like Bohemian Grove has like way more people that have like gone to that. Right. And so I think, you know, that idea that like, oh, the basically the world is being controlled by like these rich guys like going to places like, I mean, Davos, like there's plenty of, you know, Aspen Institute, like there's plenty of stuff where like they all go. What was that one recently? Was it like Park City or something in Montana? I don't know. A bunch of them just all got yeah. together. Yeah. Well, no, he and Alex Jones goes after all those things like Bilderberg yeah. and all it's oh, all Bilderberg, yeah. groups. Yeah. It's these groups that he and he, yeah, he talks. Mm -hmm. he talks shit about those i mean you know the left used to be more involved in in protesting those kinds of things you know i mean like black black whatever it was block 
They mm-hmm. used to go after those private rich people meetings before, and now they don't really. Yeah, it's become, and that's an important thing to note is that, you know, Alex Jones is a conspiracist. I mean, he went after, like his big first break was Waco and that's what they show. Right, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. His first yeah. big break was Waco, which like in hindsight, like I don't think there's anyone in 2022 that was like, Waco was a good idea. <laughs> right. like, I don't think that, and you know, Ruby Ridge even too, like stuff that, you know, was even more kind of controversial. Like, I don't think there's anyone in 2022, like I don't, you know, under the age of 50, you know, that is like, oh yeah, those were good things. Like that the government like screwed up and accidentally burnt, you know, possibly whoever started the fire, you know, still whatever. But, um, you know, just kind of like how to deal with these, you know, offshoot death cults that like pop up in the United States every few years. Um, so it's, it was smart for them to kind of lead with that one where it's like, yeah, it's like, and he was basically doing a philanthropic thing, like helping them rebuild um, yeah, in a way yeah. of fire. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of, then we just run through events. Okay, George Bush election, 9-11. Uh, but, well, Bohemian Grove was in before then. <laughs> the 9-11 one, um, you know, they kind of ran through, but, you know, 9-11 conspiracy is old hat <laughs> at this point. It's almost like, I mean, those things were all really interesting. And then we're cutting back and forth. So like, you know, the November through January plotline, which is just kind of like an ever increasingly, like you can just see like, it's his agitation that's increasing over time of being like, oh my God, the globalists have won, right? Like Biden's election got certified. And, you know, so you're seeing this kind of like up and coming, sprightly, bright eyed, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, young 20 something man being intercut with, you know, the almost 50 year old head and hands. Uh, yeah. He gets really time. dark towards the end, particularly toward, towards like current day. He really starts saying stuff like it's hopeless and, you know, there's nothing we can do and you just accept it because the world is, which is true. He starts off as this really energetic, bright eyed kind of optimistic guy. And it's like, he gets to this point where it really weighs on him. And he is, so just to kind of fast forward in the, in the um, timeline, I think you're doing a great job describing the structure of the film, but it seems like in his life, the moment with uh, Sandy Hook and getting basically canceled, more or less him getting canceled. And to be fair, he got canceled way harder than anybody ever. He got like super canceled because he got kicked off all the platforms at once. That really hurt him. Like he he says, like, you know, I went from from like 10 to a million, like right at that time. And what was was there some incident that like sparked that yes. or it oh. was they didn't do a good job covering this, which is yeah. annoying to me. Um, just because like, again, I really wanted to go in, like seeing this comprehensive thing that I could point friends and family to, to like help them understand kind of these stuff I've been curious about. Like, I, I'll just say flat out, like I'm enamored by provocateurs. Like I read books on Osama bin Laden, like, and it doesn't, touch me like I don't <laughs> and blame it on my high school English teacher for having us read Mishima <laughs> like yeah, which was oh, wow. like not a normal thing to read in high school <laughs> you read Mishima in high school that is I, really cool. I, that very cool I, I had an English teacher that was obsessed with them Dude, um, I went to public school I was reading <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird seven times yeah I <laughs> I've never read The Great Gatsby and I've never read uh yeah. and the Rye <laughs> but I have oh, read oh, dude that is amazing I, I read great. not Nabokov and Mishima and <laughs> 
And um, who else did I read in high school? Like lots of uh, Alan Watts, <laughs> like lots of oh. out there stuff. Um, awesome. Because I went to, you know, kind of hippie high school. I, I took the oh. history of the Panthers. Like, you know, like this is big. Yeah. Um, but, you know, blame it on on that. And, um, you know, growing up in kind of 9-11 culture for just like me being not like enamored, like I don't have like fan pages, you know, to terrorists or anything, but like <laughs> understanding how these like provocative figures like shape our collective understanding, like our world and like how they kind of became to be um, is really important to me. So that's kind of why like, I would love to, you know, point my friends and family to this docu documentary, but there's a lot of context missing on the Sandy Hook stuff. I would say, you know, for someone who's getting away with you know, being on TV and going like 9-11 was an inside job, you know, which was extremely like hardcore back in 2001 and 2002. Like he was saying it like days after. Yeah, like, right away. Yeah, yeah, he was right like, away saying it. Yeah. Well, they even have this footage that was like from a few months before of him going like, they're going to have a terrorist oh, attack. Oh, dude, you know, that was such an interesting part where he was saying they were talking about it beforehand. And yeah. you know, it's so weird. I remember that too. I remember, and it's like so hard to know if this is real or hindsight 2020, but I have this weird memory of reading like Maxim magazine in the year, in the days or the months like coming up to 9-11. And there was a whole piece about like terrorists are going to crash a plane into buildings. Like, I, I feel like maybe this is just like beyond science. This is like a divine thing, but it really, I also remember feeling like, oh, duh, like, they told us this was going to happen when well, it happened. I mean, listen, Al-Qaeda was not like an unknown organization. And like, right, I think yeah. that a lot of their history has been like disappeared to make 9-11 like seem more extravagant in certain ways. But like they had just bombed the um, the U.S. Embassy in yeah, it was, was it Nigeria. No, I don't think it was Nigeria. I think it was uh, like Dar es Salaam or Sudan. Oh, Sudan. Yeah. Which already, I mean. Osama lived in Sudan. He got kicked. Yeah. So he got kicked out no, of Sudan Saudi was big for those guys. That was like yeah. their, their other place. Yeah. He got he got kicked out of Saudi Arabia. He got sent to he went to Afghanistan to fight the Soviets. He came back to Saudi but like Arabia. poorly. That's the thing. They they did a terrible job fighting the Soviets. They were like a joke. Like they were like, why are these Arab guys here? Like get them out of here. Or these Saudi Arabians. Anyway, sorry. He, yeah, yeah, but he came back as kind of like this like in, you know this figure in Saudi Arabia of like this kind of hero worship. Yeah. Um, but the thing is at the time, the Saudi Arabian government was like working really hard to deescalate tensions with the US. Like we think it's all happening now, but it was starting then because they were not friends with Iran and Iraq, obviously. Like they're, you know, there's the, the Arab Persian conflict goes back, you know, millennia. And um, so when, you know, the Saddam stuff was happening and Saudi Arabia kind of chose America over um, Osama bin Laden, and kicked him out they you know basically were like you know he was like depersoned in saudi arabia like that's where things really started to escalate because like the saudi government had kind of been giving him a free pass to like have his own little militias or whatever anyway i don't want to yeah. go like you off track and like osama but the point being like yeah like he was doing a lot of crazy stuff like al-qaeda was doing a lot of crazy stuff and um it's like crazy to us who like were kids during that to like hear about this that like everyone knew <laughs> yeah and you know it's important that they brought that up 
Um, but anyway, so he was getting a free pass, right? Of like talking about like 9-11 conspiracy, like on TV, like you weren't getting canceled for that kind of stuff. You were seen as crazy, but like you weren't getting canceled. So, you know, you get like some hubris about that. Right. And then like, you're talking about, you know, the classic, like turn into frigging frogs gay with the water, like, you know, he was going off the cuff for quite a while. And then the Sandy hook thing, I think it had the, I mean, listen, like school shootings have like a very important, like American story like it's a very important story to americans like how can this still be happening right and then for someone to sort of like poke fun at it in a certain way like he wasn't he took it very seriously they show that he like took it very seriously but then you know he started iterating on what he says was like fan mail right like he's like people are emailing me telling me that um these kids like their names are showing up different like whatever it was right like <laughs> he said that he was just iterating on tips people sent him. He never went there. Um, and then they kind of chalk it up to um, like a meth looking woman from Florida, like traveled there to like harass the parents. But like, there was a lot more than that. It wasn't like a lone woman, like showing up and. Um, right. And he's saying he did, you know, it shows footage of him saying pretty clearly saying that he thinks it was fake. He does say that pretty. Outwardly. Yeah. He to be fair though he then takes it back and he apologizes a bunch of times and he says that he had it wrong and as we just said with nine eleven he is the guy who questions absolutely everything that you're not supposed to question that's his role in society that's what he does and this hurt people and he says later on he says look that's what I do it's gonna hurt people I feel really bad about it hurting people um you know what really made me come not that i had any doubt anyway but like did you ever listen to default friends episode on adam lanza the guy who did i it? i can't get through it I, as much as i am interested in provocateurs like i can't get into school shooter <laughs> yeah like, that's like, another just, that's another level uh I, no that's that's what made me Elliot, know it's sorry. yeah other than elliot roger because like i actually have some weird like connection to that situation yeah. long story but um the and, and also because like he had kind of more of a political sort of like weird political. I mean, so it's did funny Alan. how, yeah, Roger is like the one people are okay with joking about for some reason. Everybody's like, why? Because yeah, it was college kids. It was yeah, college it was, and it was like, yeah, hot college girls. So they were yeah. like, okay, it's yeah. not as big a deal. Um, um, like friends yeah. of friends, unfortunately. But they're, um, yeah, I think like the first grader aspect of it, like really, and Adam Lanza, you know, like the default friend stuff, I made it through most of the episode, but like basically Adam Lanza was extremely like nihilistic, anti-natalist. So there's a word for that. And that's what I was like, that whole episode just made me feel so sick to my stomach, but almost in a way of like, where you're just getting like into a world that you had no idea was there. And there's this whole thing called nephilism and evilism, which is like anti- what is it? Anti-life and anti-values. Yeah. And it's like either you don't believe in life at all or you don't. Yeah, that's ephilism. Or you don't believe in values, which is like in a way even more nihilistic than than evilism, because it's like what you're saying is basically when society as a child is imputing its values upon you, it's doing so against your consent. So you have all these children yes. who are like being mind raped by society because they don't give you consent to do it, which is obviously just so deeply insane but well, no, hearing listen, the guy it. say it is like we get we get yeah. it we hate your mom <laughs> yeah right it's like we, we get that you just hate life really i mean we get that your life really really sucks dude it's but like what is life go but to tijuana get a get a prostitute like i swear to god if i had been that guy's uncle i just would have been like you're coming with me 
we're going to Hong Kong club. Like we're going to just going to like make you understand that, okay, you don't believe in values. Well, then you might as well have a lot of fun in life. You know, like yeah, there's a lot to be done. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, but who, and who gives you life, right? Your mother, like, yeah. and he killed his mom. Like, yeah, right. Very close. true. Very uh, true. You know, there's, yeah. I think like almost all of these and like default wrote like a good piece on school shooters where she gets into the nihilism aspect. But I, I disagree. I think that it's not nihilism that propels them, but it's revenge. I think it's, yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. It's not. I don't think it's nihilism that propels them. I don't think they actually have like a coherent worldview. But anyway, like, well, it's fury mixed with the lack of any morals at all, right? Because if you had some a more some relationship with God or some relationship with something bigger, you wouldn't do it. But yeah. they're saying they trick themselves into thinking, well, there's no consequence for this. Like it doesn't matter. So you know that's the only nihilistic part. But I agree with you. It's total revenge against a society that is. No, against against their mom, against mom and against dad. mom personally. Elliot Roger wrote pages and pages about like how embarrassing it was that he felt like his mom was like a mail order bride almost, like kind of. Oh, wow, to, yeah. You know, like, and you know, there's anyway, but speaking of convoluted morals, <laughs> um, <laughs> the world of the people, and I think. I want to make sure that we get to, because, you know, we're at what, 40 minutes or whatever. I want to make sure we get to the side characters of Alex Jones. Listen, however you feel about Alex Jones, you know, this movie, I think is not going to change your perspective. Like, I think that's the main takeaway here is like, you either think that he's like a necessary rabble rouser that pokes at people, or you think he's just kind of a distracting presence. They make a really good case that's almost too good that he didn't have anything to do with the January 6th stuff because they have him on film multiple times going, we are not trying to get yeah. violent. Everyone, please do not be violent. Please do not. And it's almost yeah. in this way that is, if you're controversial, if you are conspiratorially minded, yeah. like you can't watch that and go like, he probably had a secret group chat telling people to get violent. <laughs> like it's <almost laughs> too perfectly positioned. <laughs> right, right. As like, oh no people are invading oh no like we gotta get out of here like do i believe he's behind this kind of stuff like not necessarily but like they almost they set it up too well to like make him seem innocent almost. but anyway well, they, yeah they do have a he keeps saying go around the building go around the building don't go through the building and they they linger on it for a long time it's true yeah which like you know again you know, proves that it's like, you know, a tad on the bias side and just like really working hard to make us believe that he didn't inspire people to do anything bad. Well, what I like so much about what you're saying and what I like about your takes is you're, you are, I think, raising a really good point. You're convincing me that there were opportunities to go deeper a lot of times and, and they didn't really go. It was like almost a very shallow film. You know, it, it was like a hero's journey. It was like, again, it was like a biopic. Like they, they didn't get, that's what I, well, right when we walked out, I said, we could have used more Werner Herzog style movements. I don't know. Have you ever seen like Grizzly Man? Um, Part of it because I took literature of the land in high school. Again, it'd be thing, yeah. but we didn't watch the death scene. <laughs> so, well, nobody does. You can't see it. So it's- oh, That's right. You hear it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Warner Herzog does this incredible thing and I, he's my favorite documentarian by far ever. Grizzly Man's my favorite ever. And he does this thing where he just shows truth being stranger than fiction. And it's funny because Alex Jones actually says that a hundred times in this documentary by just like letting the camera linger on people like a little bit too long. So like you see this character, they're kind of playing, which we all do. 
and then you see like what's behind that because they don't really realize they're being filmed and so then they kind of like break character and like do something weird and it's just so genius because it's like you're seeing how complicated these people are yeah whereas this was really told like a like like a hollywood hero's journey kind of like there didn't there wasn't too many behind the curtain things no and you know especially as i heard from the austin premiere like when glenn greenwald was you know interviewing him that he goes yeah i i, I drink like a fish every day <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's like that's important context <laughs> right and we never saw that right like let's we see him pounding bourbon in the morning that. right yeah no that's he true had, that's really point. He, he was going through a gnarly divorce and bankruptcy case and they barely touch on that um and maybe for legal reasons they couldn't like but it would be nice to go by the way he's he went through a really nasty divorce and like we can't cover that because like in which that he claims that he's a performance artist so that he can keep custody of his kids basically like which is a very oh so this is something that's not in there that you just know about yes oh wow okay yeah i didn't know he had a gnarly divorce his wife wanted full custody because they she's like he's insane and (laughs) he his lawyer very famously said on the record he is not insane he is and his news is not actual news it is performance art and he is an Mm. artist which is um, means that he's actually not a threat to the kids or whatever. He actually doesn't hold these beliefs, which is has been used against him a lot. But like, I think has been explained away as like a legal way to make sure that he has access to his kids. And like his son is still is pretty much is very much on his side. They show his son like a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, but now he's in another marriage, who I think is the kind of like displeased looking blonde woman following him around. Um, I think that's his second wife. Yeah. And they in a domestic incident recently where, um, she was apparently the instigator. Um, and they don't cover any of that, <laughs> which, you know, in the Roger Stone stuff, they cover that he was having like weird orgies and, you know, what like, but it's also because that became news, but this was news too. Like this stuff was all news and they don't cover any of it. And that's where I feel like it's again, like a little shallow where it's like, if you really want to understand this man, we should be getting the more complicated nuanced picture of him and like who he is. Like that's more humanizing than just going like, this is just a man asking hard questions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're definitely convincing me of this. I think maybe I was a little, you know, I'm on the side of people who just, you know, am in support of him. Not that I believe the things he says, but I'm just in support of someone saying them you know what i mean like i and and i think that he's so poetic in a way and and he's so ahead of the curve on some things that we take for granted now so i'm a huge fan of his i don't listen to him though i'm a fan of like what he stands for more than i don't like follow alex jones you know i mean i buy all his supplements yeah. but that's I think, just kidding. and honestly i mean uh, like, yeah yeah there's okay so as someone who worked in the fertility field the like they're turning the friggin' frogs gay with that's right like, exactly yeah I, like basically there's all these chemicals in plastic like we all remember the bpa thing right we all remember the bpa thing um there's other stuff called phthalates like there's all these plastic additives that you know have they can't even find people to do studies with on it that aren't exposed to this right stuff. Yeah. And the, the genius of that. And they didn't talk about that. <laughs> right, right. They talk about the, the few times that he actually has like crossover kind of correct. It, well, and that, but that's what's so amazing about him is he has this crazy instinct for something that is like deeply true that no one else has gotten to yet. 
And he can pick out things that are issues that he knows this is an issue. And he just says it in this, he's like a street savant, you know, he's like a street savant poet type. And he's able to articulate things that is just so hard to articulate. And I think it's annoying that he gets held to this standard of like, oh, well, he should have a, you know, New York Times fact-checking team. It's like, he's just a, a different thing. He's yeah. a different and, beast, you know? Like he's not, yeah. that's not his job, so. And regarding New York Times fact-checkers, his favorite thing to say, especially during this Sandy Hook interrogation stuff was he goes, well, the New York Times and George Bush got us into Iraq. <laughs> They're not getting canceled over it. Like, <laughs> that's true, and it's yeah. kind of like, all right, buddy, that's a little bit what about is. I think the Sandy Hook thing is important to linger on a little bit because I will give him that, it was not a fake thing. People did die. But I think everyone on both sides of the, you know, kind of gun debate, school shooting conversation agrees that the media cycle in the wake of these things is incredibly frustrating and tends to leave out a lot of details. Like we're seeing that now with the Uvalde shooting, like that there's a lot of details that kind of slowly leak out after things already blow up. Where it's like there's a crazy kid that killed his mom and the kids and we're not even finding out until like years later on like our friend's podcast like all this weird stuff about the shooter himself and like what motivated him and those sorts of things and um you know i think that there's this movement i think it was around aurora to de-emphasize who the shooter was remember Aurora, like the the batman shooter right yes. batman movie theater shooter. remember yeah. like don't say his name don't say his like, name right yes right. That's what they don't are. put up his picture don't okay. say his name. he was you know famously captured alive which like people love to point out like you know in comparison to uh you know in kind of like black lives matter conversations like the aurora shooter you know came out with his hands behind his back right. um and you know not on a stretcher um and it was, I think it was around that time. I don't, it must've been after Virginia Tech, but um, this, which God, this sucks having to list this stuff. Like it's so horrific. Um, but it was like this movement to like, don't talk about the shooter. Like, because you don't want to make them famous because like there will be copycats, but like, we're also in the internet age and we're also in clickbait times. So what gets people attracted? Like, you know, this is something that default friend talks a lot about, which is basically like, you know, kind of the Tumblrification, quote unquote, like of the news where it's like they pick up on these weird details and like make a whole story about it. And like, you're never getting the full picture of things. It's like um, kids online or like the new hot thing online is like calling yourself or like pretending to be an animal or whatever, like other, but it's like eight people on Tumblr, right? Yeah. But then suddenly it's 300 <laughs> because they write about it on BuzzFeed, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what Default Friend talks about. So it's like the school shooter thing. It's like, you can never know the impact of, you know, the event itself versus the media coverage after. And so I think like, in terms of Alex Jones is like uncomfortable, his feelings of discomfort around these things is something that we all agree on. Now the direction he went into it, that like it's fake and it's like a plant by the Obama administration to strip people of their guns, like obviously like not a great thing, but I think all of us feel extremely uncomfortable with the way that school shootings are covered in the media in sort of like a torture or you know like violence porn right well and this is another one of these things that i think we're saying it's like he identifies something that's an issue and then he brings it forth and he's kind of the first guy through the wall over and over so he just keeps getting kind of bloody and no he can't 
do the fact checking things that the others do because he just doesn't, that's not, it's just not available to him. So yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, I all right. So wait, should we talk about these other characters? You wanted to talk about some of the sub characters. Let's talk yeah, about so we talked about Owen briefly, who's yeah. the kind of media trained quote unquote successor. And I really thought that they were going to do, I thought, and you know, I, I saw that feel when no GF, which is like an important reference point yeah. for obviously Moyer, which is a kind of poignant little vignettes about like quote unquote incel guys. Um, and well, so I, that movie is about some of the, the world of Twitter that yeah. uh, we find ourselves in today. That is, you know, just full of people like Contbot, right? Whatever happened to Contbot? Well, well, it's race to a race to the bottom Twitter culture. It's like yeah. it's white male oppression Olympics a little bit in terms of like who, yeah. Yeah. like whose life is the worst. Like and the MGTOW <laughs> guys, the red pill guys. Yeah, yeah. and it's and like an exploration of that whole world. But but that documentary was good. Was, it was good, but it was also less for. It was less forgiving on those guys than this is on Alex. Hundred percent. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. so, um, you know, it, it kind of had these different characters, and they like showed them pretty equally. And then, um, you know, in this documentary, we have, and they kind of get to a redemption arc a little bit of those guys at the end. Like some of them started working out. One of them was starting to date a little. I think he, one of them has a girlfriend now. <laughs> and, um, you know, they kind of like showed that there was like almost like a little hope in them of like trying to figure things out. Um, and then in this, I thought that I truly, and like, maybe it's cause I'm too like movie pilled uh, or Hollywood pilled, but I thought like the end of this was basically like Alex Jones is feeling like really worn out, but like there are guys like Owen and like other guys in this camp that are there to kind of like pick up and like be the next generation of people questioning, but they don't, that, that's not what happens. <laughs> they basically drop them. They basically like introduce these guys and then like drop them. Um, the other main characters are, and who get um, their own cutaways, like their own confessionals, are Rob Do, I think, who's his current director, who um, basically is like, you know, like, oh, this is a genius, like breathless goatee. He has a goatee and a Kangol hat. <laughs> yeah. And then there's Mike Hansen, who is like his original sidekick, who literally has a shrine in his house. Yeah. Like, to he, he has the shirt that he wore to Bohemian Grove, like framed. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's not exactly, like, they didn't get like his sister who like hasn't, you know, I'm making these people up. I don't know if he has a sister that hasn't spoken to him in 20 years, but like, those are the kinds of people I want to see. Right, <laughs> like right, talking right. about him a little bit too. Um, not just- Yeah, like, yeah it's, no, it's true. It's a good point. Yeah. And then there's this- side character that we don't get into at all um who's this guy ali akbar who goes by ali alexander <laughs> who's a little bit like he's like gotta be five eight and like 110 soaking <laughs> or something like five nine. and he's um like basically acts as alex's like hype man bodyguard <laughs> not bodyguard but he's like the guy who tells everyone what is it like Minnesota capital Michigan or they're doing some recount and he's literally going like going up to people going like excuse me like please stand away <laughs> like yeah 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 he's like the the guy who tells people like move over here go over here yeah and he's like you know part of the movement and he's just a very funny character that we could have known more about that is uh is in it and he's just kind of like standing around yelling at people i did think that that was yeah. a funny touch that they they did focus on him enough though to provide a little bit of nuance of like this is a weird 
this is just such a weird like power struggle kind of you know because everybody's trying to get in on alex's thing a little bit there's one moment where a woman like jumps over a fence yes <laughs> and is like hey alex like come sign my thing and he's just like okay like that's cool oh that was so funny and like yeah and maybe the point of that guy was just kind of showing that like he has kind of like a menagerie of characters surrounding him and yeah. I don't know, like, here's the thing. I didn't feel like there was a critical lens like on anyone, like in the point, that's what I mean. Is like, who is the antagonist? Quote unquote, the elites who kicked him off Facebook or whatever, but like also George Bush and like there and guys that go camping in the Redwoods, like there wasn't like, and, and there wasn't even like that Ali guy wasn't even like shown as like, oh, he's a total like um, grifter, like yeah. in Alex's yeah. circle. Like no one really got like that critical lens. There wasn't a lot of, and I think that's my main, my big criticism is like, listen, shout out to people who made this movie again, like very ambitious project in order to encapsulate Alex Jones like body of work, especially in the middle of like weird political stuff going on but there wasn't really a lot of tension. It didn't feel like a big, the tension of him being kicked off platforms, like so was Milo, like so was like, plenty of other people have been like deplatformed completely. And he still has his website, he's still streaming. It's not like he's living, he's not like he's living in a cabin like completely alone, like shut off from the world. Like it, it, there yeah. just wasn't really like a major conflict, like a personal thing, conflict for him. Yeah. No, I think you raise uh, very, very good points. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right that the movie could have had more complexity. I think, um, you know, th they have a audience of 100 million people that they need to satisfy, though, also. So you can't, you know, what I mean, the filmmakers want to make their money back. And they're, you know, I'm sure Hadrian's sitting there being like, well if I get a hundred million people to download this, you know what I mean? Like yeah. literally that's Alex Jones's traffic. If you get that many people to download his, his movie, then, uh, you know, you don't want to alienate that group, which is in a way it, thank God, finally capitalism can save us from the, the woke Hollywood people who are making crap. Nobody wants to fucking see. So, you know, maybe the coldness of capitalism can come along and, and help us out for once. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's, I'm in again, like, I've had a lot of criticisms, but like, I think it's pretty clear that my criticisms are not about the subject material. Like, let right. me, yeah. like, I am not incensed that there is like a movie about Alex Jones. Like I am not incensed that there is like necessarily even like a, um, a bias possibly, you know, kind of light touch on this. I just think that like, if you have all this access, like, I think it really didn't go far enough. Like, sure. really it. like get nitty gritty. Like, and I understand there's like platforms to appease, but like, isn't the whole point of Alex Jones that like he gets into the nitty gritty that like he right. touches things people don't want to touch. And like Alex Lee Moyer, like did that during that feeling no GF, like she went there like a lot. And like this movie didn't, go there yeah and, like, alex jonesing alex's war somebody should have alex jones alex jones and that didn't really fully happen well just like you remember the whole like sam hyde and what was that guy's name i dubs thing do you remember okay so like well, i dubs the gossip cop guy or whatever like went to go interview sam sam hyde and sam hyde basically set up the entire three days and he's interviewing i dubs and he's like uh, doing he is that on him <laughs> oh can you see that yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very I, <laughs> I just remember that thing of of Sam Hyde shitting on the BuzzFeed guy, which was like one yes. of my favorite things ever. So I dubbed Sam Hyde. Okay, I'll, I'll write yeah, that. Yeah, so 
you know, basically like Idebs gets Sam Hyde to agree to do a documentary on him. And then Sam Hyde decides to do a documentary on Idebs where he, he, um, he hires a woman to, um, dress up like a, like crackhead schoolgirl to pretend to be Sam's girlfriend. Who's literally like laying on the floor. <laughs> it's it's extremely like performance art, like strange. And like someone could have, should have done that to Ashes a little bit. And like, yeah. Maybe, invented a fake conspiracy for him and sent for him right right like that would be more like that'd be an interesting way to use the subject material but in terms of okay so getting to like the parties because i know yeah let's end let's end on just the last final question is what do you make of this milieu we're in the shadow of this vanity fair article about npcc funded by peter teal which is this very cool film group in new york I went to Urban NYC. It was very much happening. Dime Square, Red Scare podcast. All the cool kids are kind of like, you know, hanging out in these scenes with Peter Thiel, Curtis Yarvin type of things. So that's adjacent to Alex Jones. I went on the other night to like the premiere party for the Alex Jones thing, which was put on by NPCC. So, and I I know some Urban guys are invested in the movie. So it's like, this is a one big... Uh, dissident right-wing cool kids milieu that's happening. So what is your take on on that? Yeah, so obviously, like, for me, it's very funny that Peter Thiel is, like, involving himself in this because, like, I knew, I know a lot of Thiel guys in SF and, like, they were never, like, the cool ones. Like, they're not the, like, (laughs) Thiel guys were not the cool ones. They were, like, the button-up, like, Mormon-esque, like, nerdy, not quite nerdy, but, like, almost more, like, business-like. You know, they had, like, a bit of yeah a bit of a conservative edge and like the rest of san francisco which is like um you know burning man like psychedelics orgies like they're not those guys um and they were never at those parties and not really i mean they some of them were but like it was just wasn't their scene and like i mean a lot of peter teal himself and keith raboy who's like his you know right hand man like they're both famously gay and you know like they're a bit more gay culture oriented than like the SF Burning Man, whatever hippy dippy stuff. Um, and, you know, sure. they go to, Bur- they go to Barry's every morning at five in the morning, <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the body fash, you know, yeah. whatever, like thing about gay culture. Like I've, I haven't met uh, Peter, but I've, I've met Keith and, um, you know, it's his house is very clean lines and, you know, he works out and it, you know, again, like very different from kind of the rest of the SF scene. They've always felt different. And they were some of the first to leave SF. They moved to LA and I believe 2018. Mm. Um, um, yeah, they moved like Teal Capital moved down. Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny that now they're kind of involved in like New York grungy, like yeah. it just does not fit their aesthetic to me like the aesthetic I've always known as like teal aesthetic um really interesting so what do you that's great a great (laughs) super interested to hear that so what what how what do how you explain this what is happening what's really going on um I think like you know the urbit thing was like a pretty big connection and you know uh Curtis left Swan what five six years ago or maybe even longer seven like 2014 no, no, no the project like her he stepped away from the project like on the at the beginnings of rumblings that he was a problem well um, I used to work for him at Urbit and it was definitely less than seven years ago so okay well, <laughs> um you know but anyway he still remains like the figure of Urbit like right. and um he is actually if you know he's 
recently was engaged to someone who's a lot more Burning Man, poly <laughs> SF, like definitely grungier SF, like, which is kind of funny, like more Berke like that kind of Berkeley counterculture stuff. And so I think he's always kind of sat on the edge. You know, I don't think he considers himself like a teal guy necessarily. Like he does not fit that same aesthetic. Again, he's, he's Jewish, like he's schlubby. Um, he's not really, I mean, he is Jewish by blood. It's not like he's like a practicing Jew. I think his dad is Jewish. Yeah, but you're, you are, yeah. <laughs> but like you are, and like you have like, you know, there's a Jewishness, as a Jewish person also, <laughs> there's a Jewishness, you know, to constantly, I mean, like literally like the point, Judaism's main thing that like a lot of people don't know is that like, it's basically questioning everything and questioning God. Like we're supposed to wrestle, like, you know, wrestles with God is an important concept. Um, yeah. And this is yeah. a whole other conversation. Not super. We can do a Jewish episode. <laughs> <laughs> but he loves, but he loves questioning everything. Like that's his whole thing. Yeah, he right, wants to right, question. Right. He wants to question. And Curtis, question. you were talking about Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. Judaism, I will say, is a very Jewish religion. If you yeah. get deep into it, it's like the most Jewy, like <laughs> neurotic, like questiony, like, but what about the you know which is very funny and it's yeah. it's like and then when you have that in your brain you're like oh well fuck i guess i am a jew to some degree yeah but like, uh so i see what you're saying i see what you're saying i don't know if it's about questioning god i would say the thing it's about is not questioning god but like you know i, yeah. I understand the point you're making. yeah um and you know so again curtis like doesn't exactly fit like kind of that teal mold like i think he's he is more on the you know more of the arm reaching out towards kind of like you know downtown counterculture but still it's not like new york downtown counterculture you know traditionally like when you think about like allen ginsburg and like when you if you go back to the 50s there was like a connection between the bay area and new york um in terms of like art like beatnik yeah. stuff and like there's a lot of 60s stuff happening you know acid stuff happening in new york as well um la to a certain extent as well but um, there was a lot of kind of cross-country communication um, in that realm. Um, you know, the, I think there was a big separation in like the 80s when like, you know, New York became like finance yeah, right, central yeah. and then like San Francisco was became sort of the continuation of the 60s with like tech yeah. stuff in terms of like, you know, the EFF and, you know, like being on the cutting edge of like, you know, post humanism kind of like freedom for every you know what is freedom right and how can we get there using tech uh freedom from emotion and religion and structure and finance so i think they kind of like were at odds but we're seeing this like resurgence interestingly of kind of like that freedom techie ethos in new york hmm, that's very insightful that's a very insightful point that it's like they're refusing together like they had a separate time where finance took over and now it's like they're coming back together i think that's really insightful I think for me, it, I agree. And I think it's really just being driven by, look, as you said in the beginning of this, as we're talking about Alex Jones, forbidden knowledge is sexy. It always will be. If you start banning people, if you start saying you can't think this, if you start saying don't do this, if you become the the, the whining, controlling nanny class, which the left has become, uh, the coolness, this is the beauty of the world. The coolness is always going to find a way, right? And it's like going to these parties with these like younger, cool kid, you know, honor Levy people. I don't think they have any fucking idea. 
They have no idea what Curtis's ideas are at all or what any of these, you know, BAP, they, they're like, oh, he's cool. But they don't know what he means at all. They're just like, oh, well, I'm attracted just like a magnet. I'm just attracted to the grungy punk. I'm attracted to punk rock. And they've made this punk rock. And now and, and also it. Catholicism, question mark. Well, well, right, um. it's the same thing. It's like an Eastern Orthodox. All the women are Catholic. All the men are Eastern Orthodox. And it, this is what happens, you know, when you when you uh, say that these this is thought crime, what's going to happen? Every cool person in the world is going to be like, well, I need to see what that's about, you know, and that's exactly what's happening. No, it's a weird it's a weird convergence of the same people that were like Epstein didn't kill himself. There's a pedo cabal. Um, Alex Jones speaks to this as well. I think Epstein was a huge moment in kind of that left, right horseshoe thing where you have like yep. Brace Belden and Nick Mullen, like left lefty yeah. you know, kind of guys like agreeing with like the Alex Joneses on the right, like oh. around like this elitist kind of stuff. Like that, I think the Epstein stuff was a huge moment in that horseshoe. And I think this is kind of a bit of an out, outgrowth of that. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I think like the inability of the Democrats to distance themselves from like the Clintons and like other people involved in that is like really part of the reason that like you people talk about like kind of the left to right jump, like people who are far on the who yeah, are kind of like, the Bernie bro. Anti well, it's, so it's actually really funny at this premiere, some woman. I was just sitting there smoking cigarettes, reading Substack articles because I didn't know anybody there. And some woman just came and started sat, sat next to me and started telling me and was like, I hate Alex Jones. And like starts going into it. I'm like, why are you at the party? And then she starts talking about like she was such a, a Elizabeth Warren Bernie person. And she's like, you can tell she's even though she's saying she hates Alex Jones, she's getting like kicked around the horseshoe bit by bit, because I think so many people who were Bernie bros, who are Elizabeth Warren people were like, you know, they're never going to give them a shot. They're never going to give these leftists a shot. Yeah. And so they're starting to be like, oh, well, where do I go? Like, and a bunch of them are are jumping, you know, a bunch yeah. of them are going right bit by bit, especially as the underclass more and more becomes identified with right wing signaling. So uh, it's an interesting time. Yeah. And, you know, where these, you know, somewhat nepotistic New York scenesters fit into this. I mean, like. They're, they're all Gertrude Steins. They're all Gertrude Steins. Yeah. Gertrude yeah. Stein was like the Jewish rich woman yes. who sponsored Hemingway and, mm -hmm. and Fitzgerald. She had from the Bay Area. Line. From the Bay what? Area. What? <laughs> she's from oh, Oakland. Is she? Yeah. yeah. She was like she... from. No, she she's from Oakland. Wow. So yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. You said it's all these rich Jewish girls in in Manhattan who are having these parties and they're like, hey, Curtis, come to my, you know, podcast. So I, I think it's the same thing. Happening. I think they want to be they can, I think a lot of them can't figure out. And like, I think if they want to be the star or if they want to be the kingmaker. Well, same and, thing with Gertrude Stein, right? Gertrude Stein yeah. wrote and but she never, you know, it wasn't very it was like, OK, who remembers? Yeah. I don't <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, no, I think. You know, that's kind of the funny part about Red Scares. Everyone keeps joking it's going to end because like Dasha finally like got some commercial jobs, you know, or whatever, right? It's like, she's a star now. She doesn't need to do this, um, you know. It will. It will end. She's a, SAG, she's a SAG award, um, you know, but. No, then, it'll end when Dasha gets a boyfriend. That's when it'll end. Yeah. Well, she has one. 
or like a husband, whatever, something yeah. serious. When yeah. she has she's, a kid. Dating, she's dating a Catholic Zoomer, whatever, like who I think is Honor's ex boyfriend, I think. Oh my God. Um, it, it's incestuous. I mean, it, it's awesome. <laughs> but, you know, Anna, I think maybe in becoming a mom, maybe she's like, I think she's less like, I want to be the star and more like, I want to be the kingmaker. I yeah. think like she's taking on more of like an editorial role in her life which I think is like good for her I think she is a little scared of the spotlight and so I think it makes sense you know at the end of the day these are networking buds like it it's not necessarily a party celebrating the all right it's 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 these are networking events they want to be seen and be seen yes they, you know and it's it's not that I'm completely like I, I just know that there's so much clout chasing in that scene just like dip like dipping my toe in there, hanging out in New York a few times this year. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> it's young. What I pass off is it's young people, you know, young, they're going to do that. Let them do it. I, you know, I, when I was younger, I did that too. I just did it in a much more bro-y frat boy way. You know, it's so, so funny. people think SF is like that, you know, like networking, that's like a small amount of it. Like mainly it's like someone's random house you went to and you're like laying on the floor till something. Yeah, no. It's... And, then, and then you realize the person you're talking to is like one of the most famous mathematicians in the world, you know, like it's not, <laughs> it's like, and then which I count who now I count among my good friends, Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and that's the cool thing. I mean, I live in LA now, but, and you know, LA can be kind of, like has multiple scenes LA is massive um but I don't know how much longer the downtown New York's like I think they're all trying to figure out who's the most popular person and like yeah. who's going to kind of lead the scene into the next stage because like it's still kind of in the hanging out and like playing with ideas stage it's not like there's nothing actionable going on there well, well mark my words Red Scare podcast will be over within the within a year within a year from now they will know yeah, that. Not that they're not great. I, I think they're awesome. I mean, you know, my wife is a huge fan. I think I think they're doing great things for, you know, the cultural shifts I want to see. They're they're an absolute godsend because they're convincing the women. Somebody has to convince the women and uh, it sure is all not going to be me. So somebody, you know, they're doing a great job being snarky, being questioning. And I love, you know, I think that they're great. But you can tell that I think you're absolutely right. What you said, Anna wants to become like move up be a serious role but it's like the podcast itself i don't think it can really survive that much longer but anyway i um, think yes. war, alex's war is actually about red scare uh, you know, <laughs> i think like truly the culture around this like i don't think alex's war would have happened without red scare culture. oh totally totally agree totally and agree. Yeah. i think it makes sense that you know they're I mean, people complain about how much, and this was part of the thing I wrote in that Call Her Daddy piece that like went viral. Call Her Daddy was the number one, number two podcast, like under Joe Rogan for like weeks and literally nothing was written on it, even though there were two women yeah, yeah. sitting at the top of the freaking charts. And for, no one talked about but it. There it's was 700 point. articles on Red Scare, Trapo Trap House and like Come Town, like, or no, Come Town never really got that much, but you know, Red Scare, et cetera, who had, you know, a one percent of the listeners um and so that kind of annoyed me where i go listen i i understand that red scare is like important in kind of this cultural moment but like it's a classic like media thing to just like miss the forest for the trees it's yeah. like why how sorry most people most most nerds 
reading the New York Times and New Yorker would benefit more from understanding what's actually happening at large, <laughs> you know, from learning about like Caller Daddy or whoever the hell. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Sorry, there's my daughter just got home. But okay. um, no, I think that that's a really great point. And it's like, why is that? Where can people read about this? Tell us where they can. I want to read this article now. So where well, I, haven't, I haven't published anything. Um, in but this article you're talking but about. This, um, I the easiest way is um, through my Substack is K-T-K-A-H-N at Substack or dot Substack.com, which I haven't used forever, but I have the snippets of like all my different pieces there. I'm actually missing one. I need to upload one. Um, and then the various places where they're published. Um, I'm going to start publishing again. If you like anything I said today, and I know I have an annoying Valley Girl voice and you'd prefer to no. read my writing, um, <laughs> you can follow along. I have like weird stuff like comparing the Astro World tragedy to Sar Nicholas II's coronation coming, like random stuff that I haven't published and that I'm getting encouraged to put out there. Um, maybe I'll publish some of that eco-fascist stuff too, but that never really went anywhere. I love it. No, you're very insightful, Katie, and you have you. amazing knowledge. So so thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this. And I think you really like battered me into having a much different opinion about this movie. So thank you. Thanks. And hopefully I'll see you around for one of these good hikes you've been going on. Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. I mean, me and whatever. Yeah. I, I won't uh, say anything. But uh, okay, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'll put links in the, in the uh, write-up. Watch Alex's War. But yeah, watch it. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. <laughs> yeah. Tell us what you think in the comments. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.